Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dusha podcast, the podcast where we are aiming to make your business more purpose-driven, your values turned into real behavior of your employees and your corporate culture something functional and not just nice to have. That's really a tough goal, and to cover that, as you know, we invite great experts from all around the world to talk to us about culture, values, and stuff like this. So today, we have a special guest. Uh, I welcome Samantha Slade. Samantha is the co-founder of Percolab. It's an international co-creation and co-design firm that has been founded in 2007. Samantha is a pioneer of culture-driven practices, and uh, she is really into creating uh, different kinds of culture and um, is we are here today to discuss uh, non-hierarchical organizations and the way culture is working in them because that's uh, one of the main areas uh, of Samantha's expertise but before we go into it Sam thank you so much for being here it's a real pleasure to talk to you and I'm really looking forward to it I'm really happy to be here today it's not it's uh, the first time I'm doing a podcast um, in Russia First time is, uh, is something that is, is remembered. Sam, so just to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about what corporate culture itself is for you? Like, how do you understand this term? What's in it, like the mission, the vision? What's, what are the main drivers there? When I talk about cultural corporate culture, I talk about principles, practices, patterns, um, and so when we're really looking at it, I mean, my background is cultural anthropology, so I'll always come at it about how it is taking place inside the beings that who are carrying it, right? So, I mean, we have um, at Percolab, we've, we've come up with five principles that we think are, um, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't want to call them moonshot principles, but I think they're just principles that are healthy for all organizations so we apply them to ourselves but we think that in in the challenges the world is going through that all organizations should be have aspirations to something not just within the organization but for beyond the organization so i do think cultures like connected to a higher purpose that you're you're conscious of and then it's embodied within your the individuals in the micro practices so there we really approach it as a from like a fractal thinking place so the way I'm doing, I'm showing up in a meeting is the way I would like things to happen in the world. So like the micro practices to system change. That's really how we approach culture. That's, that's interesting. So that's kind of messy, but I hope that helps. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's really helpful. So uh, if I got you right, it's uh, aspirations, macro practices, and micro, micro practices combined together. So those are the three components. Yeah, so it like what we would like to see in the world, we can bring it in into the our micro practices of every day. It's not just something that's abstract and aspirational. We can actually render it into the concrete. So when we're looking at something, I'll give you an example. I mean, yeah, we're looking at. Um, we would like the world to be more open and transparent. So how is it that we're working in more open openness and transparency? Or so at Percolab, our team meetings are actually open to three spots for guests from outside to come in so we're keeping our boundaries are porous so that that larger principle of working more openly and transparently gets transposed into a specific way of organizing our team meeting wow now that's that's a twist because i've i've i'm keen on working in 
organizations with you know closed doors and uh, meetings that start with hey you come here come here come here no no not you not you you come here come here come with me and that's that's kind of you know you all get clumsy and you're you're tough you're on your speech and stuff like this so um just just a short question to clarify this out um any meeting is like this i mean you have a spot in any meeting or is is it just particular meetings so just well just from an efficiency uh level our official team meetings that take place once a week so they're two hour team meetings those are the meetings where we have three spots for uh, externals. And we're even keeping it during COVID times. We have people Whoa. zoom in from outside. Yeah. Oh, got it. So yeah, so it, it's it's also balanced with efficiency. That's good. That's great. Um, what, what I hear from you is that you have this uh, sense of belonging, sense of, you know, purpose. And uh, again, there's the, these micro practices, like how you behave, this impacts the world. And that's that's lovely to hear from you. Um, you just said that this should be uh, like a common principle in any organization, like what you see in the world, uh, what, you, what, you, what you want to see in the world is what you do in your organization. That's great. Um, so my, my, here's my question. Um, is there any set of values that should be like in any kind of organization that is aiming to become non-hierarchical, except from these, like, um, I mean, the, the common values around here are like safety and stuff like this. So are there any common values in these, these organizations? Well, we're looking at things like um, uh, when we use the, the value of horizontal, so people decide the rules by which they're governed. It sounds very simple, but yeah. it's not necessarily everywhere. Um, values of... Um, uh, a more equitable world. So looking at how we look at how pay and finances function in the organization, looking at it collectively from the lens of um, uh, equitable practices. Um, those are those are a few examples. Another one maybe is um, we, we look at the organization as a place of practicing peace. So if we really want to honor the fact that human beings are different and we don't want everybody to be the same, so we are gonna be bumping up against different per perspectives and value systems, we can start looking at the workspace as a place to learn to live with our um, differences in peaceful coexistence. Hmm, that's interesting. So um, you mean peace, like uh, peace between the people, like no war, Harmony. no conflict? Oh, Harmony. Um, and, and, and no, and I do not mean no conflict. I mean a capacity to embrace conflict and work with conflict, not run from it. Because if we really acknowledge the fact mm -hmm. that human beings are fundamentally different from one to the another, which creates a diverse, rich world that we all want to live in, then we're bound to have conflict, right? So yeah, exactly. yeah, and in any organization where you're showing up, you're not necessarily with your best friends, right? So you're going to be with people who have differences than you, then there's going to be friction and tension. So how can we just acknowledge that, accept it and work with it and get, get better at working with it? And because that's part of life and harmony is being able to work with that. So we call that practicing peace. Wow, that sounds like something from the 22nd century. I mean, we, we need this in the in our world today because uh, sometimes the company really exhibits the, the value like team spirit, but 
there's actually no no team and zero spirit and that's it's it's really sad to see but here's one thing i would like to ask you as a in, in to continue this one um those practices and i've heard you talk about them on a ted talk uh, which is funny because first time I saw your TED talk and then you've, you, we've, we've contacted and then I, I thought, oh, this is that Samantha. I mean, like, oh, okay, this is, this is awesome. So um, you've, you've talked about the, um, the participatory, participatory decision-making and yeah. self-determined salary, which, which sounds really something from the out of space. But uh, here's two things I would like to ask of you to, those are trick questions. So participatory decision-making sounds to me a little bit risky in terms of um, it, it can fall down to uh, we decided not my fault attitude, like the fusion, the fusion of responsibility and other stuff like this. And same for the self-determined salary, because I, I myself can remember a time in my career when I, and I saw a team lead who really stole the credit, took the credit, I would say, for his team. And uh, despite the system being really clear, I mean, the, the metrics and the, the computer system being really clear, he still had more weight in, the collect, in this team, so he could easily st steal the credit. So there are always people who are, I would say, counter to those values. So are there any way to counter these problems? Well, apart from, you know, the most basic firing of the people. Wow, there's a lot of things in your question. So first of all, just to Sorry. come back to participatory decision making yeah. and how, how you, you, you think of it as something that's risky. So I just want to unpack the risks that we associate with participatory decision making. So first of all, like <clears throat> some of the reasons why we, we try to control decision making and, and exclude people from it is because we can't imagine how if we open it up, it can actually still function, right? So first of exactly. all, when, when we open it up, um, we're, we're still coming from a practice where like decision making, I need to get in there and I need to, I need to control and coerce and, and, and get people to think my way, right? So you're coming at it from an individualistic mindset where I want everybody to be convinced into my way of thinking, right? So when I talk about decisionary participatory decision-making, we're shifting that paradigm into purpose-driven decision-making. So can we get the purpose of this decision explicit and clear? And then can we have a place in which people all get to express how the individual me can um, is is in sync or in resonance or not at all with the decision that's emerging and be heard and actually what we what we learn is that when people are able to express that how it's going to be difficult for them it makes them uncomfortable they would have done it another way that's often enough they don't actually need to change the decision knowing that it's purpose-driven, that there's all sorts of different perspectives and wishes and desires, but this one decision is going to be aligned purpose, keep the organization in movement and action, we can start learning to this, this thing that we call, it's, it's good enough for now and safe enough to try and I can live with it. So this whole uh, practice of starting to see the difference or navigate the tension between my individual preference and keeping the organization in movement, forward movement, without it being needing to be perfect, is something that we can actually build skills on. 
So I wow. understand if you don't come from that kind of practice, you go, well, that's really big risky. That's high risk, isn't it? Whereas if you come from a place where you can be, oh, isn't it a place where we can start to distinguish between my individual desires and the collective need and, and the just keeping things in movement and action as long as they're purpose driven. Like that's a really great, um, just skill and culture to grow in an organization. And human beings are super capable of it. It's often that we just haven't experienced it. So when I go around and I introduce people to other forms of participatory decision-making and just to nuance, it doesn't mean everything. Also one myth is when you talk about participatory decision-making, people think everything needs to be participatory, not <laughs> at all. There's also the skill of having nuance, when to open up and when not to, right? That's also a piece. And the third, the third element while I'm on the different myths is that you know everybody, if you open it up, everybody will turn up. People like to be invited into decision-making things. They like to be consulted, but it doesn't mean you're gonna actually get involved. So if, if in an organization you say, oh, everybody who wants to get involved in this thing, come, and 20% of people come, that's great. The other, the other percentage are actually delighted to have been invited and okay to choose not to come. So when you open it up, actually, you, for me, uh, you're, you're really moving forward in growing a capacity of an organization to function from purpose-driven ways of uh, behavior. And I think it's a bigger risk to like not open up your decision making because what you're creating is people that you you know they're not actually on board with the decisions that are making then you have to do these whole rollout of these communication plans to get buy-in and bring people in and people are questioning not fully understanding it having participatory decision making actually is le like less of a risk for an organization in my opinion wow Here's what I really had an insight about this part where you said it's safe enough to try. It's mm -hmm. okay for now. And the third one is uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live with it. So th yeah. these are the three things. It, it really resonates with me because it, it turns, turns the world from absolute to moving, to flowing, to like more agile. And that's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, here's the thing, the thing before we go to the self-determined salary, because that's, that's really an issue. Um, uh, the participatory decision-making, you said some decisions are good for it and some decisions are, you know, just the traditional way. So how can we see the boundary? How can we help the people in the company see the boundary be between them? So first of all, it's not just two decisions. I mean, traditional yeah. way with, with, you know, <laughs> one person who makes decisions on behalf of the others that's when something is really urgent and chaotic and you need action fast it's not the moment to go and consult and decide together mm -hmm. there's other times where you want to have you know a democratic process just a quick vote and so you're you're actually getting some inform you know you're you're deciding it's collective but it's superficial in how the collective are are partaking in it you have other ones of advice process where you say i'm going to own this decision but i'm going to go out and inform the decision with expertise and wisdom that's around it and information from the people who are impacted by it and then there's the consent-based decision making that's one participatory method and consensus like there's actually a whole box of methodology types of decision making and i think a lot of it is what you're looking at is what's the speed we need in this decision how much do we need to have people involved in it and who where is like accountability for the decision going to stand is it one person a group of people etc 
So that, that in itself becomes a practice. And interestingly enough, I think an organization that's really working with decision-making in a more conscious way will actually have a decision-making organizational map to say decisions of this type will be made uh, in this way and decisions of this type will be made this way. And so somebody could come into an organization and they would actually be informed of where, how decisions, how different types of decisions are being made. And so they know where they can get involved or not. And they also, just this very simple thing of having a decision-making logbook, somewhere where you can actually go and you see the history of the significant decisions of an organization over time. Very simple things, but right now we are not really doing all. Oh my God, those are like the golden practices. Thank you so much because those are really simple because just, you know, like I do storytelling for for a living. So just, you know, keep a diary of your stories. It's really simple. And the same as you're saying, what's the speed? What's the number of people? Who do you need to hold accountable? Wow, great. This, this is great. Thank you so much. It, it really makes it all clear. Okay, so um, for the self-determined salary, uh, shall we move there? Um, sh shall I uh, say, say the question again or we can just... Um, yeah, what's your question again? I'd, I'd love yeah, to hear of it. course, of course. I'm just so, so intrigued. So I'm, I'm, I'm really <laughs> pushing it, <laughs> cramming it all up like in an exam. So, okay, the, the thing with a self-determined salary is that uh, some leaders really take the credit for the team. And uh, this for me is a sign that a leader is not ready for this whole self-determination of the salary. Uh, you know, his, his, in terms of his own personal values maybe or his attitudes. So is there a way to, um, you know, do something about this uh, situation where a leader uh, takes the credit so that we can create this self-determination? So it's very much the same thing as, as the participatory decision-making, right? So there are um, practices and structures that you can put in place that can really um, help people be in their higher selves, caring for their selves individually and caring for the others. I'll give you a very simple example. So, you know, we're used to when we do work at the end of doing our work, we go, well, this is my value in at work. And this is how much I should receive. Right. And so we're really thinking of it from an individual lens. Right. But if you start thinking of here's the budget and the budget is like a pie. Right. It's not a tree. Doesn't expand just because I would will it to have bit, you know, more money in the budget. Uh -huh. It is what it is. This is the budget. It's the pie. We need to divvy it up. Right. And how can we divvy it up in a way that's fair individually and collectively? And, and I, when we talk about fair, we talk about fair from a felt sense. So at the end, when the budget's distributed, everyone feels like there's been fairness in it. Right. And for that to happen, I mean, you're going to have to develop uh, the skill set of doing that because we've been so individualistic in the way of doing that. So, for example, at Perka Lab, we'll have a project that's finished. We'll sit down in a circle, and you know how you can have a moment where you debrief a project and you go, What did we learn? Da, 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 da. Well, we integrate that with the compensation process. So, we'll have a circle and we'll go around, and each person will say, um, You know, how was this project for me, and how was I showing up, and what was I doing, right? And so it's just a moment where we can each see each other and we actually have a vocabulary for that. So we'll say, well, in this project, I was, I was a doer. So I, I was just doing the things, whereas people can say I was a holder, which means I was taking the stuff home with me at night. It was on my shoulders. I was going to sleep with it. I was, you know, 
So I was holding, which is yeah. a different thing. It's invisible, but I yes. didn't know I was holding. Somebody can say I was learning. So I was doing things, but I was actually asking a lot and people were helping me and explaining. So you're acknowledging that you were really in a learning place while you were doing. And other people can say, well, I was coaching. So yeah, I was maybe not even in there, but when people needed help, they would come and ask and I would get coaching or maybe I was doing and coaching. So we have a moment, we have a shared vocabulary. So we'll say, well, I was do doing for that, coaching for that, learning for that. And everybody goes around, we don't argue it, we don't comment it, we just witness each other's own self-perceptions. And in it, you'll see there'll be some differences and some friction points will surface, but we don't dive into it. We just let them, let them kind of float. And then we have a moment of saying, okay, if this is the budget, how much or of the percentage of this budget, do you, uh, uh, how, how should the percentage of the budget be distributed in a way that's fair for everyone? So we take a moment of quiet, just like a, you know, one minute of silence. Everybody writes it down, but you don't just do it for yourself. You do it for everyone. So if I gave myself 50% oh. of the budget, that means there's only 50% to distribute amongst all of you. So if I give, so each person is on their own dilemma of the impossibility of everybody having what they would really dream of having and just navigating that. And so when we've done that, we have a go around the circle, you share your percentages and you say why you put those ones and any, you know, any feelings of discomfort or the logic you're using. And again, we just witness each other. We add up the percentages like a, we, we do, we tally it up and we put it in the center and say, huh. So right now, if we look at it, uh, we don't really have um, final decisions for sharing it out. And then we have a, an, another round and by that round, everybody's it, it kind of lands and then you, those numbers just become clear. And basically somebody who's trying to get something that's not fair, it will show up in the group in an instant and that person will, will self-regulate basically into something that's more, um, makes more sense for, for everyone. Does that help to hear, to think of it? Yeah. I mean, the second time on this podcast, I catch myself like, okay, this is way too easy and how haven't I thought of it? And this is way too practical to be real. So thank you so much. I mean, this shared vocabulary part with the doers, the, thing, uh, the holders, uh, coaches, learners. Um, the, the last one, can you remind, remind me of this one? The uh, learners, I guess. Yeah, yeah, okay. those are it. Okay, this is, this is just great because when the people have this shared vocabulary this really helps out. And uh, the, 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 this two round thingy is also a great thing to do. Uh, I, I, you just reminded me of a situation on, uh, on the psychology debate shoulders where uh, we had a tough uh, challenge and uh, we were assigned roles. Like one was a, a boy of age of five, another was an old man, another was an, a lady with two kids. And each of us had to, you know, talk how we how we really uh, need the one pill that saves the life but the, the rest is gone so we had a real discussion it was like a, a, a negotiation training and you know what what's funny about this one uh, i was uh, really fed up with it and at some point i said okay now clo everyone close their eyes and raise the hand uh, the man who really thinks that he deserves it and at, at some point, there were like five hands, then one hand, like within two hands, then zero hands, and then just one hand. And I just stopped them at, at some point, and the, the, this man got the pill. And funny thing, everyone else 
had the, the feeling that it was fair. That was, it was really the only fair decision it, because it went to the doctor who actually designed the pill, but got, uh, you know, ill in the process. And, uh, funny thing, because here's uh, just, you know, a random question that comes to mind. Uh, do you think is that this, uh, whole decision-making process is connected to the way we as human beings are, um, you know, consciously, uh, telling ourselves that our decision was right when it when it's already made or is is it some kind of a different process but like like down below what's the secret to it how how is it working so i i think the secret is that for some reason we we haven't been invited to think consciously about how monies flow so hmm. people come up in their own um i'm supposed to grab and negotiate for myself and this process just like flips that upside down in a second where all of a sudden you're going, Hey, how does this get distributed amongst everybody? And that's mm. usually what a manager is doing. And so then we sit there and we critique and complain about how that's been done or it's opaque and we don't really um, understand it. And so we're using the whole world of money as a taboo topic. And if you really want, mm. if you, if you believe in an equitable world, you need to stop, um, approaching money as a taboo topic and that's not easy because money's tied up with all sorts of emotional stuff and different things for each person so when you first start doing these practices around money like emotional things do come up and that's mm. why having the practice of just being able to be together and not respond and react just helps us be in a collective space together to navigate the the, the bit of uh humanness that arises and not be scared of it like it's normal it's okay it's not a disaster and once you've done this a few times it just gets it gets easier and you know what you just said this feeling of fairness like we're so um, we've been trying to develop al algorithms that create fair distribution of compensation within organizations and even i mean i went through that phase of thinking that there'd be an algorithm that would be fair no single algorithm makes sense and even if you had one that that you thought was great there's somebody else who's not going to at the end of the day we need to have a relational practice of seeing each other and knowing that it's not there's there is no perfect distribution and this one is good enough for this situation right now and at the end of it when we do a checkout we just say um, with all that's just happened in this project, would I want to embark on a, a, another similar project with this same team again? Mm -hmm. And we just have a go around. And it's really interesting because people could have said like really intense things during that time. But at the end, when you go, yes, I would be ready to embark on a project that's similar to this with this same team again, you've just, you've just closed your circle of the healing loop. The healing from all that I lived in a project where people, you know, they, they leave often with stuff, the healing around the finances and the healing of this team. Mm, beautiful. This sounds like, you know, a dream to many uh, uh, y, y gens and Z gens because those are the people who are like more focused, I would say. No, no prejudice, but, you know, in terms of uh, the generational theory. Here's the question that really comes to mind and it's kind of bothering. Um, I know that this is really connected strongly with results. These, these kinds of cultures really bring the results in the modern world. But I know that some organizations are still finding themselves 
um, in a more uh, you know, close, closed door and behind the thing, uh, the things conversations. And I've worked in such, I've worked in a bank and, and I, and I felt it through. Um, and is there any advice or any way such organization can, you know, shift from this rigid approach, even though the system itself is, you know, this old and rigid system. So can you help us? Well, I think first of all, <clears throat> we need to we need to get beyond the myth that it, that the old traditional systems are actually working and providing results. I mean, we have the data of how much people are showing up either disengaged or not showing up, mental health issues, illness issues, people leaving. There's all of that stuff that's out there. The organizations are struggling, and it's a huge financial burden on organizations. The current way of functioning, let alone the the human havoc that it wreaks. Right. So let's let's acknowledge that it's not actually the ideal system that we might would like would like us to believe. It's not actually really working. Right. Right. So when we when we start thinking about okay, if we acknowledge that and go, how do we shift to something that is more democratic, participatory, caring, horizontal, etc. So the reflex we have from our kind of plan and control culture and reflexes is to approach it from, oh, let's restructure it. But restructuring, it doesn't change how people show up on Monday because you've drawn a different organization. <laughs> right. So the real thing you want to do is come in and it seems, it sounds so, you know, tiny, yet the path of practice to organizational transformation is a powerful and profound one. So if you just want to go and shift the way you do your organizational me meetings, for example, from something where a single person is responsible for them, is, is determining the agenda, is rolling them out, is documenting them, to having all of a sudden co-managed meetings where people are sharing the leadership, sharing the documentation, bringing in more conscious ways of organizing them. So inviting people in to say, okay, if you bring, if you bring a point to the agenda, then you're going to facilitate or animate that point and nobody intervenes right mm -hmm. and then and then bringing in and saying oh well if you bring a point to the agenda can you give the time box of it what is the time that you would like and then you're held accountable to the time that you decide so you just start bringing in in practices that are inviting in the personal leadership of everybody and are in, and are inviting that solo leadership of one person doing everything to to step back and to start contributing in a more collective way with everyone. And I, I name team meetings just because I say, you know, uh, as, as an anthropologist, I, should, I say, you know, invite me to your team meeting and I'll tell you how your organizational <laughs> culture is because basically everything shows up in the team meeting, right? Right. This and is it, really... It's such a low risk place for an organization to come in and build its organizational cultural transformation because there's no clients there. There's no money involved. Like it's, it's the, it's low risk. People aren't necessarily completely enlivened with the existing team, uh, team meeting culture. So people are, are open to change that. And I always think it's of an ideal sweet spot to, to start your cultural transformation. So just begin by transforming your team meetings from something like individual when the, like the boss says, you know, we're meeting at this time and just to something more collective in, in this sense. Yeah. If you really wanted to push like how democratic can this team meeting be and start practicing that there 
and use that as a practice space and maybe commit for like the next six weeks, we're going to run our team meetings like this. And then afterwards, we're going to have, uh, you know, a learning moment to reflect on how that went, what went well, we'd like to keep it going forward, what would we like to shift and try out again, and you uh -huh. just iterate it. You also come in from the idea that it's not because we changed it one way right away, that we're just going to blast it and go, now we need to go back. You, you shift it one way and you go, what are we learning from that? And now what do we want to try moving forward? So this iterative approach, because that's how human beings function. We learn iteratively. And so yeah. just reminding ourselves of that too. Wow. That's, this is great. Sam, thank you so much. I really had a lot of practical tools uh, from this podcast and really I understand way too clear than before this conversation like how can you make it function uh the, this uh, common vocabulary this practice ground this reflective iterative process this is those are really easy uh, and you know simple tools but simple is not always easy so this is this is a great idea thank you so much for sharing okay some final short question um can you give one advice for a man or you know for anyone who wants to build uh, a more purpose-driven a more um, you know a more human business and uh, he's the he's in the top of the food chain he's a CEO or, you know the founder of the organization like can you give him one advice one final advice for today for her Oh yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, or her. <laughs> yes, I would give him or her the um, advice to, uh, instead of focus focusing on what others need to do, the thing that you, no, how about this? The thing that you would like others to be doing, are, ask yourself the question, are you doing it yourself? And if not, start doing it. This is amazing. Again, simple simple but not so easy thank you so much sam it was really a pleasure for me and i hope you all folks learned a lot um sam just one final request can you share some context of yours if uh, people can uh, want to reach out and uh, contact you and your team yes absolutely so first of all i invite you all to um read my book going horizontal creating a non-hierarchical organization one practice at a time and i want to let you know that we're just developing a card game both virtual and physical in which that's it's basically um non-hierarchical storytelling game which i thought i should share with you right now and it, wow. we're just beta testing it right now so if anybody would like to join on, on that, you go to goinghorizontal.co and you can find out different activities, trainings, and, uh, um, and just you can let, let us know that you'd like to join a test for the Going Horizontal game. Other than that, there's my organization, percolab.com. Um, we're uh, an organization that's based in Montreal for Arcel and their other Percolab um, cooperatives in different countries in the world. If you'd like to contact any of them, reach out to them. If you would even like to start a Percolab wherever you are in the world, contact us as well because we look at our organizational system as a platform that can be plugged into for other places in the world. There you go. And my, um, my email is sam at percolab.com and I would love to hear from anybody who's uh, got stories of horizontal practices to share. Wow. Thank you so much, Sam. That was, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
All right, everyone, this is it for today's Dusha podcast. We had a wonderful talk with Samantha Slade, co-founder of Percolab. I don't know about you, but I've learned a hell of a lot about creating a more non-hierarchical and horizontal organization in terms of real practices, in terms of things you can do right from the start. And one thing that really holds on to me is the thing we discussed the last is if you want to people, your people to do something, uh, you got to ask yourself if you are doing it yourself. And uh, that's That's the role of a leader in any kind of organization. This is it for today and stay tuned for the next episode of Dusha Podcast. Stay safe.